0: Step back with me in time, back to the world of the Middle East in the year 3 B.C., and look with me at the account of what was going on behind the scenes of that first Christmas in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. After learning Mary was expecting, Joseph was faced with a tough decision. What would be his future with this woman? And Joseph was a kind man. He was a humble man, as evidenced by how he determined to handle what I'm sure for him was a deeply disappointing situation. He was going to privately divorce Mary. And this was very considerate of Joseph. When you think about all the advantages of a public decree of divorce... Jewish and Roman law encouraged a man to publicly divorce his wife if she were found to be guilty of adultery, and if he didn't, he would be considered to be a wimp. Or people might have logically assumed that Joseph was the father unless he publicly divorced her, so his reputation would be affected for the rest of his life. But a public divorce well, it would protect his standing in the eyes of the community and put the blame on Mary. And then Joseph could have profited financially by divorcing Mary publicly. By taking her to court, he could have impounded her dowry, rather assets that she would have brought to the marriage. And perhaps He could have even recovered, Joseph could have even recovered the bridal purchase price if he had paid one to her father during the engagement. But even though Joseph was going to pursue a more considerate path to terminating their relationship, God had a different plan, and He sent an angel to reveal it to Joseph in a dream, Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus literally means, the Lord saves. And this revelation changed Joseph's life plan when he realized that The child that Mary was carrying truly was the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior. He did as the angel counseled Him. The announcement of the angel changed the future trajectory of Joseph's life. And it can change the direction of our life journey if we can take it in. If we can take it in on this Christmas Eve, 2012 that Jesus came to save us from the penalty of sin. The words of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 18.4 echo through time. The soul who sins will be the one who will die. And the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians in Ephesians chapter 2, or the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, as for you, he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, like the rest. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. That's a penalty of sin. But he said, it's by grace you have been saved. And to be saved means that our status with God has changed. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says it this way, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible describes salvation with several different words. One is the word redeemed. It means the price, the penalty for our sin has been paid by the only one who could pay it, Jesus Christ. It uses the word justified, which means that we are declared innocent by the only one who is qualified to judge. It uses the word adopted, which means to be chosen, to be grafted into God's forever family. It uses the word reconciled, which means that all alienation and all estrangement have been overcome in a peaceful and secure relationship with our Creator. Twenty-one-year-old Christina Grady had to pay the penalty for her crime of shoplifting at Christmas time. She was ordered by a judge to stand outside the entrance of the JC Penny store that she had robbed, wearing a sign that read, "I have been convicted twice for shoplifting at JC Penny's I am truly sorry for what I did." The judge gave her the option of going to jail for 45 days or standing outside the JC Penny store wearing this sign around her neck. Eight hours a day for a week. Now, what if this same judge, who was not guilty of the crime, saw the embarrassment, saw the humiliation of this woman as she started to place the placard around her neck and take her place outside the busy store, people streaming into the store. What if the judge had stepped up and said, "'Give me that sign.'" You can go free, and I will wear it for you. Well, to a a much greater degree, that's what Jesus did. Scripture declares that the charges against us were nailed to His cross. He wore our condemnation on Himself. The penalty for our sin was borne by Him. R.C. Sproul wrote, Moses could mediate the law, Muhammad could brandish the sword, Buddha could give personal counsel, Confucius could offer wise sayings, but none, none was qualified to offer atonement for the sins of the world. Jesus alone is a Savior. And so at Christmas we sing, long lay the world in sin and error, pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. Or we saying, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled? We're saved from the penalty of our sins. And Jesus also came to save us from the power of sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin then later in that same chapter, verse 14, Paul writes, "'For sin shall not be your master, because you are under grace.'" Charles Swindoll tells the story of a bazaar that was held in a village in India. Everyone came to bring their items to sell and trade, and one old farmer brought a bevy of quail. And he had tied a string around the leg of each bird, and the other ends of the string were tied to a common ring, and there was a pole that went up through the ring, and he had taught these quail to walk in a circle, kind of merry-go-round style, around and around. And nobody seemed interested in buying the birds until a Hindu man came along and said, I want to buy all of them. And the farmer was elated, But after receiving the money, he was surprised to hear the buyer say, now I want to set them all free. So he said, cut the strings from their legs and turn them loose. With a shrug, the old farmer bent down and clipped the strings. But the birds kept marching around in a circle, freed and released. They kept going in circles as if they were still bound. And Jesus saves us from the power, the binding power of sin. But salvation breaks the chains that once held us, and then we can spread our wings and fly. And so at Christmas we sing Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all. To save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Tidings of comfort and joy. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the power of sin. Jesus also came to save us from the practice of sin. Occasionally I'll speak to someone who will tell me about a time in their past when they were saved. That's good. We should all remember the time when we first experienced. God's saving grace. Part of the purpose of Christian baptism is to tie that experience of our salvation to an event, to make it memorable. Sometimes it's difficult to remember a mental decision, but we can attach a date and a time to this visible act of obedience. A couple of weeks ago, I met a man who told me that he was saved when he was eight years old, but he had not been in church in many years years. I remember speaking to a prisoner at the state penitentiary in Jefferson City, Missouri, who told me that he was saved as a young man, but in his young adult years he fell victim to alcoholism and was convicted of a crime. Friends, those of us who are saved are freed from the practice of sin, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, no one born of God will continually sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, saved people will occasionally sin, but they will not habitually sin. We're not perfect, but we're in the process of being perfected. We're not perfect, but neither do we perpetually sin. We resist sin. It is not a part of our routine. Being saved leads us to an elevated quality of life. Francis Schaefer, in his book, How Shall We Then Live?, cites studies done on people who are faithful church attendees, people who are saved people. He found several things. Number one, there's less alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and criminal activity. Eighty-nine percent of all alcoholics said they lost interest in church during their youth because of negative parental influence. Saved people have lower levels of depression and stress. Respondents with strong Christian commitment were twice as likely to describe themselves as very happy. Saved people have four times less likelihood to commit suicide. A lack of church involvement correlates strongly with suicide rates more strongly than any other risk factor. Save people have greater family stability. Eighty-four percent of strong families identified the Christian faith as an important contributor to their family unity saved people have greater marital satisfaction. Church attendees are much more likely to say they would marry the same person again. Saved people have better physical health. Church involvement correlates favorably with lower blood pressure, stress, and enhanced survival after a heart attack. So. Being saved, being saved from the practice of sin, that looks to me like the best way to live. And so at Christmas we sing, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We sing, O come to us, abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel can I pull it all together for us on this 2012 Christmas Eve? Jesus came to save you and me. He descended from His heavenly throne that we might someday ascend to our heavenly home. He became like us that we might one day become like Him. He was born of an earthly woman that we might be adopted by our heavenly Father. He experienced physical infancy that we might experience spiritual maturity. He fasted for 40 days that we might experience the wedding feast of the Lamb for all eternity. He wept that we might one day have every tear wiped from our eyes. He felt hunger So that our souls might be fed. He became a man of sorrows, that we might become a people of joy. He endured man's ridicule, that we might experience God's favor. He was forsaken, that we might be favored. He was wounded, that we might be healed. He died so that we might truly live. We are free from the practice of sin. Jesus came to save us. He came to rescue us. And He did that with the cradle and by the cross. And so on this Christmas Eve 2012, we want to share together in a time of communion. Our servers will prepare, and in just a moment they will serve us the emblems that represent the sacrificed body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, because we want to be intentional tonight about remembering that we were the reason. We were the reason that He came as a baby in Bethlehem's manger. We are the reason we are the reason that He suffered and died on the cross of Calvary. And He asked us to do what we're about to do. He asks us to remember Him. He asked us to be careful not to live our lives day by day, day in and day out, without thinking of Him. And the reason why Christmas has been described even in secular music as the most wonderful time of the year, is because it's a time when people everywhere pause to remember Jesus, to remember His birth, and at this moment around the Lord's table, to remember His suffering and death on the cross.